Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Anthony Taylor. Thank you so much for joining us on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. We share actionable insights, strategy, leadership, culture to help senior leaders, middle managers, and business owners navigate the world of business, strategy, and leadership. My guest today is Art Kleiner. Art, how are you today? Great, Anthony. How are you? I am fantastic. I'm super excited to have you. Art is the editor-in-chief of Strategy and Business and PwC Global Thought Leader. So, Art, I imagine you've seen your share of thought leadership, strategy, business insights in your world as a, well, as a writer, as an editor, as everything that you've done? Well, I've gotten to know a lot of people who write about management. Basically, every management decision, everything you do in business is a bet on some theory about the way the world works. So I work a lot with the people who develop the theories and then see them tested in the real world and either work or not. Yeah. And also, you know, I don't know if those of you that haven't heard PwC is a fairly sizable uh, consulting firm in the world. (laughs) I think it's the largest professional services firm uh, that exists. It's um, and it's, you know, like all large organizations, it's immense and you can never see the whole of it. And then it's also like a little community where everybody kind of thinks in some similar ways. Like us, you see the the organizational, your organization, and then you have a, a you know myopic view or grand view of different smaller <laughs> organizations. So you've seen a lot of leaders in your day, I imagine, and, and different contexts across the world. So that's also very cool. Well, it's great to be on a show like this where we're talking to people who are wrestling with these issues and ideas. Also excited to talk about your book, The Wise Advocate, The Inner Voice of Strategic Leadership. Tell me a little bit about that, and then we'll get into some questions. I've been interested in the link between neuroscience and leadership. In other words, when we want to make decisions, we want to influence people, we want to move towards good goals and, you know, long-term goals that will not just make a good deal today, but set us up to be perennially growing and thriving, you know, tomorrow and next generation, et cetera how do you think and how do we know what type of thinking is right? You know, management is as much an art as it is a science and people who look for the formula for getting things right are sure to be disappointed because by definition, business is breaking the boundaries of any formula that came before because you're trying to find a way to compete that nobody else has done yet. So how do you know what the right thing is to do? And about eight years ago, I began talking with two friends that I'd met in neuroscience circles, an executive coach named Josie Thompson, who's based in Australia, who's also a cancer survivor and has applied some of those lessons to her practice with executives, and a neuroscientist and cognitive psychiatrist named Jeffrey Schwartz, who's at UCLA. He's probably best known as an expert on obsessive compulsive disorder. He was the uh, psychiatrist who worked with Leonardo DiCaprio uh, for the movie uh, The Aviator, which was about Howard Hughes and in which DiCaprio had to portray his OCD. And he's written a number of books, um, most recently a book called You Are Not Your Brain. And so we were talking about how the mind and the brain work together. And we kind of realized 
there's a lot there that leaders don't realize about their own mental processes. And the most effective leaders could learn, you know, by just learning a little bit more about the way you think, you could not only make good decisions, but you could train yourself to make better and better decisions all the time. Interesting. Okay. So hmm, there's two paths that I want to ask you questions about. One is mm -hmm. about the organizational, like what you've seen in terms of strategy, business, what you've seen are sort of best practices for, for driving strategy. But maybe we'll start at the beginning, like looking inside at oneself. So right. if, if a, a, a manager or a leader was to look under the hood and take some time on, to look under the hood, <laughs> so to speak, what are some of your findings? What would you want them to look right. for? Or where's a good place to start to I, assess you know, their, their thinking styles or whatever your, your, what your findings were in the book. So maybe that'll be a good place to start. Yeah, it is. And once we talk about that, we can then talk more effectively about strategy. I love the metaphor of looking under the hood and believe it or not, it had not occurred to me partly because, you know, the thought of actually looking under the hood of your skull is, would be very painful, but mainly because a lot of what we think of as brain activity is really a combination of mind and brain activity. In other words, the choice of where to focus your attention is a choice. And when you make that choice time and time again, it affects the neurons in your brain, uh, the neurons that fire together, wire together. And so the paths where you focus your attention time and time again, where you refocus and refocus and refocus your attention, that changes the physical layout of your brain. This is a phenomenon called uh, neuroplasticity. And if you choose where to focus your attention, then it's self-directed neuroplasticity. Uh, Jeffrey, um, my colleague and co-author coined that phrase. So when you're a leader and you're at a moment of choice, say you're, at a, say you're trying to decide whether to do an innovation and you'd have to bet the company on it, or you're trying to hire someone who's you know, going to be a very significant hire, a chief operating officer or someone, and you have questions about their character, but you know that, or questions perhaps about their capabilities, or you, you, know, you see you're asked to kind of break a small ethical rule and you're trying to wonder if that's going to lead to problems down the road. What do you do? Not just what do you do about that time, but how do you train yourself time and time again to make the right choice? And it turns out that when people think about decisions, their minds gravitate towards one of two patterns of activity, either when we call them the low ground and the high ground. So the low ground is the pattern of activity when you make a deal, when you're moving towards expedience. And it links your habit center with, your, with the part of your uh, self-referential center in your mind and brain where you're thinking about what you want and what other people want. You know, I want to do what my boss wants. I want to give people what they want. <laughs> I want to make a good deal. I want to, you know, solve a problem. I want to stop that person from calling me because I don't want to hear from them. All of these wants... You know, if you didn't know how to operate that way, if you didn't know how to operate on the low ground, you'd never be a leader, right? You'd never be able to get anything done. You wouldn't stay in business. But if you stay only in that side of the mind and brain, if you only, if you only follow that pattern of activity, you'll never be a great leader. You'll never be able to transcend limits or influence a group or a community or an organization 
to make the really hard choices and move towards the really, you know, sort of true goals that, that we all want. And, you know, right now in this time of great stress and uncertainty, organizations have to learn how to transcend and get over their limited habits. So you need to be the kind of leader who can step forward and make that call. And that's where the other circuit comes in. Okay, so we got the, the high road, which is sort of, the, I mean, or the low road, which is basically the, the ones, the management, the sort of simple right. organization of it. And then what I hear you say is that you need to overcome your, what you think is limits, what you think is the sort of standard and, and expand outside of what you know. And is that the high road in terms of, you know, developing your neuroplasticity or getting your decision making exactly. or... Well, we and we call it the high ground rather than the high road. Oh, high ground, other, sorry. Other, it, no, it's no worries. Um, all of these things are language that we, you know, that people use when they write books to stand out from other books. And there are other books that have talked about high road and low road, and they mean something different. But the high ground, okay, so let's say you really want to be a leader who overcomes really difficult choices. You know, one example we use in the book is Nelson Mandela. And when he was released from prison and he became, you know, president of South Africa, and he had to stand for moving to a truly inclusive society. You know, it was not going to be a reactive society that reversed, you know, uh, the racial polarity and, and, it, and they you know, sort of turned apartheid on its head or confiscated property or anything. He wanted to create a society where everyone would want to live there. And so one of the first things he did is he, um, he put on a Springbox cap and the Springboks had been associated with the apartheid regime and it had been a sports team, uh, football team, soccer team. And he put on the cap because he wanted to show that this was now going to be a country where we were all in it together. Uh, you know, South Africa has had its ups and downs and problems, but the power of that and other efforts like the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and other things like that, you know, showed a kind of leadership that really takes, it takes a certain kind of attitude to live up to and to do that kind of thing. And you see it around you in business, you know, quite often, but it rarely gets recognized except by the few people in, in the room. That was one case where it was recognized by a lot of people. So what happens when you make a decision like that? You're thinking not just about what you want and what other people want, but you're doing certain types of mental activity. You're doing what we call mentalizing, which is thinking about what other people are thinking. What is he thinking? What is she thinking? You know, what are they going to do next? What's going to happen? You're also invoking what psychologists call executive function, the part of your brain that, you know, can move towards long-term goals and rise above the pressures of the moment. So you're, you know, you're embracing complexity. You're thinking about more things than you usually think about. You're inhibiting your quick responses, your emotional responses. You're not suppressing them, but you're allowing yourself to resist them. You know, you're saying, I'm not going to follow that impulse right now. And you're looking at things from multiple perspectives. You're doing all of those things, and that sort of builds your executive function. And then you're doing a third thing, which we call applied mindfulness. And this is not just contemplation, but contemplation of 
your own thoughts, becoming aware of your thinking and the effect that your thoughts have on you and on your actions, and the fact that they're just your thoughts. They're carrying messages. You're carrying messages from your culture in an organization and from your brain and as an individual, and you become more aware of that. And as you start to do that more and more, and you do it, you know, once or twice a day, but maybe you do it every day when and maybe you start to remind yourself that that's the way you should think about decisions. And gradually over time, you come to mentalize about yourself. You come to take a third person perspective on first person experience. You start to look at yourself like you would look at someone else, care about yourself and also be ready to say, you know, that's good direction. That's not a good direction. I'm going to, you know, and you build up this inner voice of judgment and you come to call on it. The experience is like, you know, well, it's been, you know, written about in literature through antiquity. Probably the best known popular character is Jiminy Cricket, which was based on the cricket in the original Pinocchio story. You know, this little voice that you don't even know it's there until you call on it. But once you call on it, it becomes a habit and you start to pay attention to it. And that turns out to generate activity in the mind, which has an effect on the brain and helps you grow and evolve as a leader. Okay. So if I can summarize all of that and forgive me if I take any, you know, specific words, but what I heard was if you're a leader currently and you could be operating on the low ground, and the low ground mm -hmm. is dealing with, you know, wants and, you know, I heard it as operational type thing. Getting things done. Getting things done. Uh, great leaders are living or training themselves to be on the high ground where they're, you know, looking at transcending. They're looking at transformational change. They're looking outside of themselves, outside of the organization, inside the, their people and start thinking about what other people are thinking and using that decision-making, that uh, structure for decision-making to move themselves forward. The other thing I wanted to tie in there was the neuroplasticity aspect, is that whether you consider yourself on the high ground or the low ground currently, that the act of thinking, you know, sort of like mental training for yourself, of thinking outside, looking at those big decisions, develops your neuroplasticity so that you become a great leader. So when they ask, you know, are great leaders born or made, I'm sure that there's a case for both and we won't go there based on data, <laughs> but, but, you know, adding that mindfulness once or twice a day is a thing that you could do much like you would work out in the gym thinking strategically. And so now this is, so thinking strategically is a thing you can develop within your organization. Now, my question for neuroplasticity, and I'm hoping that this validates one of my things, so you know that you know there's the, the law of attraction, uh, things that you think about. And yeah. I, when I talk to people about developing their organizational vision, some, you know, Nelson Mandela being a great example of that. You know, you have your vision in your head. You have your vision. You communicate it. And I believe that the more you think about that thing, then the more specific you are, the more opportunities there are to make that happen. For example, I had a client who said, you know, we want to be right. uh, invited to speak. Never happened before. And then two weeks after the strategy session, you know, he got invited to speak at a big conference. I take 100% full credit for it. it. has nothing to do with their, you know, background expertise. It's all me mm -hmm. getting them to create their vision. But, no, that's obvious. 
<laughs> Thank you. Go ahead. <laughs> Given neuroplasticity and what you're saying, are you saying that there's scientific evidence background to say that that neuroplasticity like aspect of it validates that or you know you can either humor me well, or, or give me what you found <laughs> well uh, so first of all i am not a neuroscientist so i'm not going to step out on the limb of saying that there's scientific evidence for it but i will give you my opinion okay perfect so there's no question that habitual focus of your attention on something changes your capabilities the way I like to think of it is when you have that voice in your head that's kind of looking at you and saying, you know, I care about you, I want the best for you, and by the way, turn left, don't turn right, or turn right, don't turn left, don't do that, or if you do that, be prepared for these consequences, or, you know, whatever it may be, and is looking at the long-term goals and starting to think what do people think as opposed to just what do they want, how do I give them what they want. When you do that, it's difficult. It's very difficult at first. And by making it a habit, you train yourself to hear that voice. It, it is very analogous to working out. You know, I started lifting weights about five or six years ago from not doing it for a long time. And I had forgotten that I was kind of expecting my muscles to tell me really loud what I was doing to them. And in fact, they don't. You have to listen for the signals. You have to listen for when you're, you've kind of gone too far or when you really should stretch. Your muscles will tell you that, but it's not like you, ha you kind of get yelled at about it. You, you have to learn to interpret those signals. And learning to interpret the signals from what we call your wise advocate that construct within your mind is the same thing. You have to kind of listen for it. But once you do, once you hear that voice, then you take on that same voice in the organization around you. And then people start to listen to you and for what you have to say, because you are now channeling that sensitivity, that perspective, that sensibility, and people recognize that. Now, whether that means you're going to start to attract, you know, the opportunities that you're hoping for, you may be training yourself to recognize those opportunities or to provide similar people with the signals that they need to hear that the opportunities exist or who knows, who knows what you may, what, what may be happening. But the thing that is happening is that you're moving yourself towards habitually more powerful, better long-term decisions for your organization and for yourself. Got and it. So taking all of that, there are systems in place um, that you can listen to the signals and it's yeah. being in you, tune to those signals on both sides, whether that's a leader where you say, hey, you know, uh, tacit experience, I've been here, I know what to do. You could still be wrong. But then also from an organizational perspective, when you're honing your listening, you're honing your yeah. your hearing about what other people say, then you definitely are more in tune to what's happening. You can pick up, you're a little bit more perceptive yeah. to what's happening and um, you can tell, yeah, what's going on around you. So, and this can get raises a question about strategy. So is the purpose, let's say you do a strategic exercise and I've done a lot of scenario planning. I used to teach scenario planning um, and I have 
been involved in a lot of projects around strategy, long-term, you know, what are we going to do in this organization? What's our value proposition? How do we focus our value proposition? How do we keep from scattering ourselves doing, you know, too many different things? How do we um, really make the most of the resources we have? All major strategic questions. And the process of answering, asking and answering those questions is often what we call strategy. So here's my question to you, maybe. When we do such a process, is our goal to find the optimal answer to the question, what should our organization do next? Or is our goal to cultivate the ability in ourselves to handle that question on a day-to-day basis and to always be steering and tacking towards the right direction for our enterprise without necessarily having to set that direction in stone before we go? Well, my perspective is the latter, because if something changes, if we're putting all of our eggs into one basket and we got something wrong, then by making that decision and being unending, hey, you know, this is where we're going, it's a challenge. But then I also think that developing the muscle of strategic thinking allows you to adapt to opportunities and to adapt to, you know, that everybody works on something together to say, hey, we're equipped to take on this journey versus I have one tool. And if I take this one tool with me, you know, a a host of other challenges could come. So my vote is for the latter and then sort of like trying to address the world around us and equip the organization with tools and skills to make it happen. Hopefully I'm not wrong in that, I guess. Well, and we'll never know for sure, right? Because it depends. But so your choice, you know, this is about developing our own strategic acumen, you might say, is a very powerful answer. And it raises a lot of questions because where does that strategic acumen come from? Does it come from that voice inside your mind? Well, where does that voice come from? How do you know that that voice is telling you the right thing to do and is not you know, sort of whispering, you know, go ahead and uh, release those uh, and, and, you know, upsell your customers in a way that's not going to be good for them or mislead, you know, the form, the data that you fill in or, you know, or um, do any of the whatever hundreds of things that companies think they can do or have to do that turn out to really uh, mislead them. How do you know you're not going down that kind of path? Well, on some level, you have to have confidence that that voice is taking you somewhere. And it's a lot like, you know, to me, it's a lot like having confidence that, you know, you can stand there with, um, you know, a barbell and, uh, and 180 pounds on it and do squats underneath it. It's the confidence that comes from practice, from knowing yourself and knowing your world. And a lot of that is what, strategy involves. It's building up that knowledge base and that way of thinking. Pierre Vach, who was the original sort of leader, conceptual leader of Royal Dutch Shell's group planning, where what we think of as scenario planning was kind of developed for the first time. Uh, They predicted the oil price rise and fall uh, in the uh, energy crisis in the 70s. And Pierre, when he was asked what he, you know, who he was and what he did, he would say, I am the eyes on the wolf at the front of the pack. 
In other words, strategy does not come from planning, it comes from seeing. And your ability, so, and part of that is I recognize, I see, I learn to look, I learn to pay attention. I learn to pay attention inwardly as well as outwardly. And then some of it is because I'm paying attention, I develop confidence and I develop the ability to think about what I'm thinking and pay attention to what I'm paying attention to. Because of all of that, I'm confident in my confidence (laughs) (laughs) and deserve to be. And until you have that feeling, you know, how can you develop a strategy that the whole company will fall behind? For our leaders listening, in that it is a journey, like all things. And if you so choose to go on that journey, you know, using the opportunity to, you know, apply the mindfulness to being in tune with where you you focus your attention and then look look i hear it as looking both within and without at everything that's happening in the world and then developing yourself we call the book the wise advocate after the inner voice you know the inner voice of strategic leadership but we could have also have called it the skill of strategic leadership mm. and how to develop that skill that's and excellent. a lot of the book is about you know what we know about skill development, again, as a neuroscientist and executive coach, and in my case, a management writer and editor. So as we finish up here, uh, where can people get the book? Where can people find out more about you? And where can people uh, connect with you? Well, the book has been published today, as a matter of fact, January 29th, by Columbia University Press, Columbia Business Press. And so you can find it wherever you look for books, which often means looking online. Uh, We have our own um, book website, which is wiseadvocate.com. That's W-I-S-E-A-D-V-O-C and then the number eight, uh, wiseadvocate.com. And, you know, we're, it's it's pretty easy to find us. If you look for Jeffrey Schwartz or, Art Kleiner in a search engine, you'll probably find a few references and hopefully the wise advocate will follow in that way. Strategy and business is always around too. too. (laughs) (laughs) I got that too. Check out the book, check out uh, strategy and leadership, follow art. You've uh, you've written uh, written to your own name, nine books. Is that right? Well, some some number. The the book I'm best known for before this one is uh, probably called The Age of Heretics, which was a history of the social movement to change large corporations for the better. You know, there's it's it, management and strategy are sometimes things we think of as practices to follow or ways to, you know, kind of unlock a a door or an answer. But they're also historically rich avenues through which people learned how to combine philosophy and action. You know, I opened this call by saying every action is a bet on some theory about the way the world works. And some of these theories are pretty consequential. They've led a lot of people to make some good bets and some really bad bets. Mm -hmm. And the history of management is a lot about the history of the way we think people operate. So it all comes back again to mentalizing, to thinking about the way people think and thinking about what they're going to do next, but on a broad scale. Here's to hoping all of our listeners make good bets for you in the future. And (laughs) and I hope that you really took something from our 
interview today. And uh, Art, I just really want to thank you for making yourself available, for sharing your, your insights, your book, and just for a really lovely conversation. It was a pleasure having you on today. Very much on my part too. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Anthony. If you're getting ready to lead the strategic planning process yourself, be sure to check out our strategic planning toolkit. It has video walkthroughs to guide you through each step in the planning process from vision to action planning. We'll also have workbooks and downloads to document your plan and best practices to help get your team bought in so the plan gets executed successfully. You can get instant access to all the tools, all the templates, and all the downloads at smestrategy.net slash course.